Hi, and welcome to How to Build an Empire, the podcast that will take you through everything you need to know to build a marketing machine that can scale. I'm Danny Lev. Producer Sam is right by my virtual side. What's up, everyone? Today, we have a truly special guest with us. You may know him as developer Philip, but we're here to unveil the man behind the code and the camera. He's Philip Grabowski, a developer advocate at Permit.io, a YouTube influencer and owner of a marketing agency that specializes in influencer matchmaking. Philip will be our go-to expert as we unravel the ins and outs of crafting your influencer strategy. We'll chat about why it's essential, what truly defines a top-notch influencer, and explore the intriguing distinction between the various types of influencers out there. And stick around to the end, Philip will share his most recent crazy experiment. Get ready to unlock the world of influencers with Philip Grubowski. Welcome to episode three of How to Build an Empire. We have Philip Grubowski with us today. I actually had to ask him how to pronounce his name because I know him only as developer Philip. Good morning, developer Philip. Thanks for having me on the show, Danny. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I'm Philip Grubowski, or otherwise known as developer Philip. I am a developer advocate at permit.io. I'm also a YouTube tech content creator, and I'm the owner of a marketing agency called mensoy.com, which specializes in influencer matchmaking. So let's go backwards a little bit about you being a YouTuber. You're not just a YouTuber. Why don't you tell our listeners how many followers you have? So uh, I just crossed 100,000 subscribers, which is, which is an awesome achievement for me. It's something that I was, you know, hoping to, to get at some point and it finally happened. So it feels a little bit unreal. Congrats. And thank you. Thank you. And actually, most of my audience is people who are engineers or people who are interested in tech, who are inspired by tech, uh, and even uh, folks who are aiming to create their own startup or are currently building their own startup and uh, seeing where they can take it. So uh, that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to have you over, other than you being an amazing influencer, you actually belong to other sides as well, the side that hires influencers on the Permit.io side, but also as an agency who helps influencers find someone to influence. Philip has a really interesting point of view, and that's why I'm really happy to have you on the show. So Philip, we all know what influencers are. I mean, we have seen them on TikTok and Instagram peddling some kind of foot cream or something. But in mm -hmm. the context of a startup, what exactly does a startup influencer do? Well, as we kind of know today, there's many types of influencers in, in many types of niches uh, and many types of markets. You know, you have influencers who, you know, might promote something that is completely non-tech related. But in this case, for a startup, especially for a tech startup, you're looking for an influencer who, first of all, has a tech audience. But most importantly, and I always really like to stress this enough, or I can't stress this enough, is that the audience of the influencer has to match what the tech startup is willing to promote the audience has to be interested and actively engaged in what the startup is doing. Because as we know in the tech world, there is many types of audience and, and many types of technologies out there where, for example, some people might be interested in web dev, some people might be inter interested in infrastructure tech, you know, some people might be interested in low code and no code. Now, obviously hitting the right market and hitting the right niche of people is quite difficult. So you really need to understand the influencer, what they do, and the types of videos they create. And, and therefore, if you're able to match those two together, you're going to hopefully get a good result. 
That really makes sense because you don't want just a large audience you can address with your product. You also need it to be the right persona, the right people who are actually interested in your technology and have a need for it. So it really right. makes sense. Right. And that's, and that's actually what happens to uh, a lot of startups. Startups are fairly new in the market. Uh, you know, they're still experimenting with influencers and very often they make the mistake where they hire someone and then the results they get are unsatisfactory. It's, it's not what they were expecting. And, and suddenly, you know, it's, it's kind of this downer that the company gets because, you know, they spent X amount of money on, on promoting their content, hoping that the result will be successful and it doesn't come out to be. And mostly the reason for that is that it's just was the wrong influencer. It was the wrong audience that you were marketing to. And one other very important thing to stress here is that, you know, we're marketing to the tech audience and tech people hate being advertised to. So you really need to find other organic ways to do so, right? Well, here you go, folks. There you go. You have tip number one, always find an influencer who actually influences the exact target market that you are looking exactly. for. So, Philip, tell us a little bit about how you became an influencer. How did you find yourself with 100,000 people following you on YouTube? It's, it's actually very um, unexpected for me to, to dive into this kind of direction. And I, I guess I can say sort of a, a career at this point. Um, because actually the story started when I was 15 and I was doing uh, stock photography and, and I was always interested in photography and videography and that's something that I always had, you know, some kind of drive towards. But I ended up, you know, going to university, studying computer science and I left to go to the US to, to do a year in industry and that's when I earned my first money and then I could purchase my first camera and, and then I thought, well, I need to utilize this and I, you need to make good use of this. So I ended up coming back to the UK. That's where I live. And essentially, I decided to combine two things that I love, tech and also videography, and be able to make something out of it. And that's when I filmed my first video. And since then, it just continued being a thing I do as, uh, you know, as a passion, as something that I really enjoy doing. And it just kind of created itself to become uh, something very meaningful. So how did you find yourself working with developers at Permit.io? Yeah, so... We obviously, as a startup at Permit.io, we try and reach out to relevant people that, you know, are somewhat uh, relatable to what we do to, to help us kind of advertise and promote and build awareness. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of combination being an influencer and reaching out to influencers. I feel like I find that there is an advantage here that I have, which is the fact that I understand the market because I'm an influencer myself. So I know what other influencers are looking for. And I know how important it is to reach out to the right influencer so it's relevant so that they get that message in their inbox and they, you know, first they read what you're doing. They're like, oh yeah, actually this is something that could be really useful, not just for me to promote on my channel, but also, and very importantly, a lot of influencers think in this way, that the thing that they're promoting is beneficial to their audience. Because being an influencer, it's not just, oh yes, let me, you know, collect as many sponsorships as possible and just advertise it you also care about your audience. Like it's, it's almost like you're a little family. So you want to promote what's important and what will actually benefit the people. In, in that sort of way, you're also building your reputation to make sure that, you know, your content is legitimate. Your content is something that people will go and see and they're like, okay, I can definitely believe this guy. He's not just pushing adverts on top of us. He's actually mm -hmm. giving us things that are going to benefit us in our career of engineering. Okay, so the influencer's point of view is really, really important when you approach them. So how would you suggest we find and approach influencers as a startup? Well, there is there's many ways. Well, like I said, of course, there is uh, marketing agencies that specialize 
um, in finding and matchmaking those influencers, which there isn't actually much of. Most marketing agencies, they, do, they have a very broad view of influencers, but there isn't many that actually specialize in tech like we do. On the other hand, it's about finding the niche that you're in. And I, I guess that the best way to do it is to go on YouTube and to search for that niche and to search for creators that are doing something specific to that subject and then reach out to them. Usually on YouTube, there is an email address in the about section that you can find uh, and just send them a message. And I think once you start talking to an influencer, you'll sort of understand if he's the right fit. You'll see, you know, how responsive he is, what kind of ideas he has, if he understands your product, uh, if it's something that's relevant, and then you will get a feel for whether it's the correct thing to do. It's very important not to push, not to push a collaboration or a sponsorship just because someone is available and willing to do it because it might not always be the case. Uh, you know, there might be, you know, other obstacles along the way that you might not foresee. So it's just very important to really get to know and, and to just have the influencer present ideas rather than throwing ideas at them because you need to test that creative aspect of the influencer, especially when they're marketing to a developer audience. So how do we know if a certain influencer is legit? For example, I find Philip talking about dev tools and I see that he has 100,000 followers. How do I know that right. you didn't buy them in the dark net or something? Like, how do I know <laughs> that? What are the signs that you are a legit influencer that is worth paying as a startup? I think the first thing you would notice is the professionalism from the influencer. Like if you message someone, it's not the first reply won't be, okay, but what is your budget? Because that's a clear sign that, you know, they're all, all they're there for is just to, just to make a profit and create that video and they don't care. Um, I think you would find that if you are working with someone who's really good at what they do and they really care about what they do, you'll find them that they ask more questions about your company, about your startup. Exactly what do you do? They'll want to dive into the details. They'll want to understand it before you even start talking about the price or before you even start brainstorming any ideas. And that's, that's the initial sign that you'll get that, you know what, I think I've got someone that when they do actually agree on some, when, when we do actually agree on something, when we do actually agree to work together, he's going to produce really good content because he's going to care about it. Because he's going to make sure that what he delivers to his audience is also really good. So you'll know that not only you're going to work with someone who's professional, but also with someone who's going to make really good content for you. And that's kind of the initial sign. Later on, then, of course, you can see how many ideas the influencer can come up with. The influencer's role is also to brainstorm and provide you with ideas, provide you with titles, provide you with, you know, something out of the box that will, you know, benefit you, that will be a little bit different. I think when you're creating a dedicated video or a video integration, as it very often happens, you want it to be as organic as possible. You don't want to be talking about developer tools and suddenly advertise Kubernetes. Like, that's not going to be the case. For example, if you're talking about developer tools and then you have a sponsorship from, I don't know, let's say Notion, that is a very fitting video to do that in. And if the influencer suggests that they would match a video to your company, I think that's also a, a really, really good sign. Cool. I also like to look at the engagement. If someone has a million followers and he gets four likes for every uh, post, that's a, a dead giveaway that those followers aren't exactly legit. Absolutely. So you, you definitely want to ask for the analytics of the influencer. I believe there is already some platforms that are working on exposing that. So, you know, companies have insight into what's going on. But at this point, it's just the question of, hey, would you mind sending me your analytics for the last 30 days uh, and specifically your audience and who your audience is? Because obviously there also has to be an audience match. 
if you're promoting a, a service that's only available in the US, well, you probably don't want people from like uh, Asia or Europe to be using it, right? Because it's not going to be your, your specific market. So yes, uh, asking for analytics is very, very the, the correct thing to do. Uh, there's nothing that you shouldn't worry about asking for it. It's almost a, a duty that an influencer should provide that and should provide the access to, to being able to see their analytics. Because in the end, that's the data that you are going to get that's very important, which is going to uh, determine whether in some way your audience and, and the thing you're promoting will be, uh, you know, it will be taken by the influencer as something positive and something that they might want to use. What kind of influencer content is there? If we create a menu of what an influencer can do for a startup, then what types of services would they be able to give? For example, a product review, for example, pushing the specific market education that a certain startup mm -hmm. would need to get mm -hmm. done. What else mm -hmm. have you seen around? I think the most common thing is just building awareness. And I think this is achieved through either creating a whole video which incorporates the project that the startup is creating inside a bigger project. And I think that's also very important to have. You never want a dedicated video to be just about the thing that is being advertised. So the startup's project, you always want it to be part of something bigger because then people can see how to actually use it properly. I think uh, very often you, you can have influencers, you know, write blogs that show some kind of a tutorial, not just talk about the company, but show a tutorial and the actual you know, implementation of how to use it. And, and here again, I highlight that implementation is extremely important for any startup. Just building awareness is not good enough because yet it might bring some traffic and it might build awareness. People are not going to fully understand how it works. And I think with any startup, because they bring such unique technology into the market, it's very important to make sure that any person watching the video, reading the blog, um, you know, listening to a podcast, reading a part of a newsletter that influencers can also do if, if that's a service that they offer and uh, that they understand and see how it's being implemented into the actual real life scenarios of users. So, the, you know, there's, there's many kind of uh, outreach points that can be implemented. Um, what else is there? Um, you know, there's short video integrations at the beginning or end of a video. Um, there is doing YouTube shorts and Instagram reels. It, it just never ends. To be fair, um, mostly you would aim when you're picking with an influencer, you try and target their biggest platform. You wouldn't really outreach to other platforms that they're using because most of the time and most of the scenarios of influencers, they have one very concrete, dedicated platform that they're working with, which you'll probably be able to very easily identify by the amount of followers. And that's the platform that you should be asking them to promote them. Is there a difference? between the different platforms? Like, is there a difference in the impact that the influencer can generate between Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, etc.? Absolutely. And I think the real quick answer to this is that YouTube is the strongest platform to promote purely because on YouTube, it's much harder to earn a subscriber. People don't subscribe as willingly as they would, for example, on TikTok, right? And that's just a pure indication that when you do actually get a subscriber, it's someone who's actually interested in looking forward to the other videos that you will release. With platforms like Instagram, Twitter, you know, I think it, it's, it's a case of, you know, you might get one post that goes viral. I mean, the same thing with YouTube, but it's just much easier to grow on these platforms than it is on YouTube. Hence, um, you know, when, when YouTube actually does go ahead and issue the, the awards, they're much more significant than any other platform. So I think in general, if you are uh, a startup and you are targeting a specific platform, YouTube is probably the way to go. Specifically that it's also visual. They're, they're going to be able to show the product. And I think that's, again, mm -hmm. a really, really important part of marketing for a startup.
I agree. Take us through influencer types. Um, we have, as a startup, we have an internal influencer also called like developer relations or developer advocate right. or something advocate. Yep. It doesn't have to be developer oriented. And yep. it can also be an external influencer that I hire, just like we talked about now. So take mm -hmm. us through the different types and what their pros and cons are to a, a new startup. Right. So, I mean, as we talked, an external influencer is anyone that you would find on the web that somewhat is appealing and, you know, their niche matches with what you're promoting. Of course, that kind of influencer will get some insight. And like I said, if he's good, he's going to ask a lot of questions about the company and will have insight. And they're going to be able to do a, a pretty good job of telling their audience of what you do and why you're beneficial. Now, on the other hand, like you've mentioned, we've got developer advocates, we've got developer relations. Those are influencers who are directly working within a startup. They have a, they have a job within a startup to build content for the startup. Now, at that point, it's not just like an external influencer where they might be just doing a YouTube video. For example, myself as a developer advocate at Permit, I'm responsible for writing technical content. So blogs, I'm responsible for writing technical documentation so that when someone does come and use the product, they can understand how to use it in a very simple way. Then again, I'm also responsible for creating videos for that startup specifically. Then I'm responsible for, you know, writing Twitter posts and engaging with other influencers and specifically engaging with other developer advocates from other companies to collaborate. So that's another thing. Now, the pro of a developer advocate or developer relations within a startup is that they know the startup and know the product inside out. So then when they're advocating, so for example, if we go to conferences and we uh, do a talk or when we are at the booth and we try and engage someone to, for them to understand what the product is, we've got enough skill and enough knowledge to be able to do that in a very short time but portray everything that's very relevant to make sure that we capture and that we almost convince this, the person who's listening to us that this is exactly what they will need, not what they will want, which is a very important kind of concept here to mention. So we've got that internal knowledge that we can balance and, and portray in a much more um, concrete way that will attract the audience in regards to any other external developer who you know, will have to learn the product before they advertise it. Um, actually, I shouldn't use the word advertise. It's organically advertised, maybe that's the better way to put it, to achieve this, the, the same or, or maybe different results, but mostly the same results. Yeah, well, it's not exactly advertising, but it's not exactly objective social media. It's actually called native content. It's a term that started at the newspapers and magazines where they had someone mm -hmm. who's paying to write an article in the newspaper and or in the publication. Uh, so it would say this is native content by company X talking about, you know, whatever it is that they're selling. Um, right. So it's pretty much the same here. It's native content because it is native in terms of like it looks organic, but it is also kind of an ad because it is paid for. I think the distinction here is that you you use the word ad when you're actually chatting with the company, but when you actually deliver it to the end audience, you should never advertise it as an ad. It should just be something that's very organically integrated that almost seems like it's part of the thing you're presenting. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how you get the best, you know, the best click-through rate and the best kind of adoption into the product. Yeah, that's why it's so important to find a legit influencer because you don't want their feed to look like a bunch of ads. You want it to be a very natural continuation of whatever it is that they were talking about. Exactly. 100% right. So how does an interaction look like when you hire it or when you hire others? Well, it really differs. It's uh, like I said, it, it differs from influencer to influencer. But 
the typical general reaction that we would expect is you find an email address to someone that you find attractive and you think can do, do a good job. You'll send them an email because that's the way they usually want to be contacted. Or you could mes message them through a, a different social media channel, which doesn't always uh, work that well because there is a strict inbox that influences control and the social media they might miss because they just get so many other messages from other people that are watching them. So probably email is the best way to reach them. And you uh, specifically ask them, hey, would you be interested in working with us to promote this? We see that it aligns with what you do. And, and is there any interest from your side in, in creating some content around it? And then a lot of the time, if you're not writing to the right person, they'll probably say, sorry, this is not something that I would do. Sorry, I don't have time. Sorry, you know, there's something else. When you do match and when you do get to the right person, they'll probably be interested. And, and like I said, they'll probably end up asking some questions. Like, what do you guys do? How does this work? And uh, what do you guys expect? Which is very important. What do you guys expect from this collaboration? Uh, it's a typical question that should be asked by an if. Uh, if not, you should definitely tell them what you expect and what your expectations are. If you're looking for specific numbers, if you're looking for specific ways of building awareness, uh, it's something that should be clarified within that collaboration. And then obviously, once you nail down on that, uh, then you probably start talking numbers and what the, what the expectation payment is, how long it's going to take, when it's going to be delivered, the first draft, the second draft, how many revisions are available, and then the final publication date with all the tracking links and everything. So very kind of typical uh, that you would expect from working with anyone else, not just a tech startup, but any other uh, influencer out there. Um, but the most important and the first thing that you should be looking for is, is how engaged they are in the product and how many questions they're actually asking about it. It's a clear sign if something is wrong or not. What does an engagement look like? For example, from my experience, it could look like two tweets and a blog post or a video and three Instagram posts that mm -hmm. promote that video. Have you yep. seen any interesting types of engagements? So actually, most commonly, you would request a video or a video integration. So it's like a 30 to 90 second integration within either the beginning or the end of the video or somewhere in the middle. This is something that also has to be agreed on. Um, and then as part of already that price point, you would expect the influencer to also post on their social media about it. When you say Sorry. integration, what do you mean? By integration, I mean integrating a segment of recording that specifically targets and talks about the startup product. Um, now that the integration usually should be adjusted to the video that is being released. So like I've mentioned, it should be something completely not random, but it should make sense in the video. Um, so these are the two most common kind of words and phrasings that are used. Would you want a dedicated video or a video integration? How long would you want the video integration to be? How long would you want the dedicated video to be? Because sometimes some companies request a six to eight minutes. Some companies request it to be a 15 minute. Some companies which have a whole tutorial that they want you to do also request like a 30 minute tutorial, but they would also request, for example, a GitHub project to be made publicly available. And it's, it's actually really good if an influencer offers to do a whole project and release it publicly so that when users do come to listen to the tutorial, they can, of, of, of course, if, if you're working with code and integrating code, they can use the, they can actually clone the project. If we're working with a no-code platform, well, then obviously they would log into the no-code platform and use it as well. I think it's, it's super important that whatever the influencer does gives value to their followers. It's not just about pushing the brand of whoever's paying. Uh, absolutely. Like if, if someone clearly specifies that they're there for the money and they just want to push it, you can, you, I, I, I highly suggest that you just back out straight away because it's just not going to work. 
uh, unless uh, you've got some lucky charm on top of you and, and the video will go viral. But other than that, I don't think it's, it's going to be the case. Uh, so the, the matchmaking concept here is very, very important that a lot of companies in some way neglect and they shouldn't. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's the case of being very time pressed to find someone because you have a release and someone needs to do a job and they need enough time to, to create this content. Um, and you just end up picking someone who might not be the best uh, person to do so. And, and suddenly the results come in and they're not as great as you would expect. So I think it's very important to put and stress finding that match and finding that audience match. That's an excellent segue to my next question. So we found someone, we hired them, we did a project together. What kind of results can we expect? Oh, this is an interesting question and a good one. And one that is very hard to have an answer to because very often, let's say we're working with someone that's doing a YouTube video. Um, obviously you would want to expect a very good click through rate and a very good conversion rate into the platform or into the product. Um, and that really depends on how YouTube algorithm is going to promote your video. I've seen so many examples where really big influencers with millions of subscribers, they make this video and suddenly the video gets 20,000 views and uh, suddenly a company paid, I don't know, like $20,000 to have this video out. And then there is examples where you have influencers who have seven, eight, 10,000 subscribers. Their channel is great. They do great work, but maybe it's not as appealing, right? Um, but then you, you, you work with them and the results are fantastic. They do a great job. It's uh, super beneficial to other people. And sometimes it's the video that can even explode their channel. So it's not always about the numbers. Uh, and that's also a very important thing. If you find someone in your niche who has low numbers, but they can do it well, that video has more value than a video that can be done by someone with millions of subscribers. And I think that's the point companies often miss. There is a lot of like, you know, you see someone with millions and you're like, yes, this is, he's gonna do a great job. And suddenly you, you make this assumption. And this assumption is, 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 is a hole you're digging for yourself because it might not be the case. So I think you need to have the market open to everyone, not just the really big influencers, but also the small ones, because sometimes the small ones, they won't be greedy. Maybe they're just starting out. They'll do something for a very fair price. They'll be happy and they'll produce content that will make your startup blow up. You never know. Plus, it's a mutual thing. I mean, most of the companies that we worked on together have thousands of followers themselves. So that will be pushing the influencer as much as they push us. So it's a mutually beneficial deal. Exactly. It's, it, it works both ways. I think the way influencers kind of also benefit from any type of collaboration is that it sparks a lot of content ideas for them. And it sparks a variety of the things they can deliver to their channel as well. And it also acts as a motivational factor to create something that would be really cool that maybe they wouldn't have done before, but it aligns with what their audience wants. And in that same sort of way, because it's something new and it's something exciting, usually you'll find that they'll produce really good content for it. And in the same way that it does well for you because the video gets a lot of views, it also benefits the influencer because they'll get a lot of subscribers because a lot of people will enjoy what they did. They'll find that it delivers valuable information. Uh, and so they will follow along to see the other videos. This is our time for our very special segment based on a true story. Based on a true story is brought to you by the Marketing Hotline. Book a one-on-one, -on -one, ask me anything with a high-ranking marketing executive just for you at your convenience. Get all your questions answered and your dilemma sorted. This is a super flexible model with no commitment or overhead costs. Just get the help you need when you need it. Book now on bit.ly slash go empire now.
That's bit.ly slash go empire now. The link will also be in the episode details, along with the rest of the good stuff. Back to you, Danny. Thank you, Saren. Why don't you give yes. us an example of how everything we just talked about culminates in an amazing story you can tell our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I can tell a story of myself when I was, I guess it was a year and a half into making YouTube content. I think at that point I had about 30 or 40,000 subscribers. So in, in general, I wasn't considered to be huge, but I was considered to be significant. Now, of course, I at that point was also part of a bigger YouTube group where all the like YouTube content creators gather and they share all the like inside information of, you know, what companies they're working with, how much they're charging and so on and so forth. Now, at this point, I've been reached out by a company called Hostinger. At that point, they were actually new and they were trying to build awareness and they reached out to me and they wanted to do a collaboration. And, you know, they reached out to other folks as well who had much higher subscriber numbers and were looked much more attractive probably in their eyes. And they wanted to, to have those collaborations go on. And of course I accepted that I was willing to work with a hosting provider as it aligned with my web development channel and putting your website to the audience. So it was a perfect fit. And I actually, at that point I was experimenting and I wanted to change the way adverts are picked up by the people watching. And I wanted to make it fun and I wanted to make it something completely different. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go all out and see if they like this and see how it works. And I ended up filming this as part of my reaction series where I showcased a bunch of creative personal portfolios where I put shine the spotlight on creative developers. I've basically duplicated myself. So there was two Philips that I did some editing magic and I was talking to myself advertising this company. And because it was different, because it was something people didn't expect, they actually ended up watching through it. And I ended up getting comments like, oh yeah, this, this was an advert, but I didn't actually notice until the very end where you like shoved the promo code in our face. And the great thing about that is that it got really, really good adoption. And the company for awareness was very, very happy with the results that I've gained them. They didn't share the exact numbers, but they came back the second time and they came back the first time. Uh, so you can see that, you know, as a smaller channel, I've ended up, you know, doing something really awesome for them. Whereas the companies and, and the other influencers, they just had that one collaboration and they mentioned that, yes, they, they've kind of killed it because the results weren't as beneficial. So it's not always about having the numbers. You also have to be very creative in what you do and then how you do it. That's a very cool story. It just shows you, you can work with uh, the smaller audiences and get a huge impact. Sometimes it's better than to drown in a sea of uh, millions of followers that are interested in completely Absolutely. different things. And, and the great part about this is that even though your audience, obviously with a, a lot of content, there is that retention factor. The higher the retention, the more your video is going to be pushed. And because of this new creative approach that I had, it made people watch it. So it made people watch the video for longer and therefore YouTube decided, well, yes, we're going to start pushing this video to higher audience. And therefore throughout those videos, I also benefited from it a lot. So that's why, especially when you're working with influencers and you're advertising to their audience, it's very important to find creative ways of doing so. It shouldn't just be, oh yes, this is the product and this is what it does and blah, 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 blah. It's very monotone and boring. That's not what we want. We want exciting stuff, you know? Developers might be introverts, uh, but they like exciting things a lot of the time and they like a laugh and they want to watch something that's funny. And I think having that kind of approach to do something that's out of the box can really, really do wonders sometimes. Very cool. So of course, people, we will be showing the link to these uh, two Philips videos right here in the details nice. section. I have an interesting question from a completely yeah. different angle. 
say we are a couple of uh, founders, we don't have a ton of money to pay influencers yet. And maybe it's important that we turn one of us mm -hmm. to be an influencer. Like, why would it be important to make an influencer out of one of the founders, one of the founders of the company? Well, I think the founders always have a very interesting story to tell. And just by a very interesting cool story of just creating something from scratch, a, a company that's now is doing, you know, all these cool things can be very, very interesting to a lot of folks who are in engineering, who of course strive to be in that place one day, because I think the ultimate goal for any engineer, at least from what I've heard is to at one day have their own company that's going to prosper and do really well. Founders, they always have the struggles that they can share, which resonate with people really, really well, because a lot of the time people don't share the, uh, everything that's shared on the web right now is just, oh yeah, I was successful at this. I was successful at that. This is how successful our startup is. This is how much money we're making. But what about all the hardships along the way? What, what about all the nights that you didn't sleep and, and drank energy drinks and, you know, try and make something out of it? What about all the times that you worked in your friend's uh, living room by a table drinking coffee and trying to see if it will even work? That's the things that people want to hear. That's the things that will motivate people to to do something. And, and for stories like that, because it really hits people and it really resonates with people, people start following you because they're like, well, I want more of this. Share more of your life. Share more of the things that are going on. Share more of the problems that you have within your startup. Yes, I want to hear about the cool new features, but also tell us about all the things that went wrong when you're trying to deliver that feature, right? It's something that it is not happening often. And that's one of the things we're also trying to do at Permit is to, to get our co-founders to share more about what they did and how the work, uh, you know, was like for them to even come up with this and, and all the like funny things that they did that, you know, maybe failed and, and, and didn't succeed and, and all the kind of outcomes and ideas that came out of the failed things. Because usually when you fail, you, you build uh, new ideas that tend to work much better. It could also be funky success stories. Actually, exactly. I had a founder who worked all night on a math problem uh, to fix uh, a latency problem. And they worked and worked and worked all night. And then finally, when they got to the solution, the mouse battery died. That, <laughs> at that exact point where everything should have been going amazing, like that's, that's like the mouse died and they got the solution. And it's a great way to tell the story of how we found the huge solution to this new product. I can actually share a story myself. It's not really a founder story, but it's just, it just proves how quirky sometimes things can get. Um, when I was at university, obviously I was doing my dissertation and I ended up getting an award for the best dissertation at university. Now, I don't think the story has been out yet, so it's very kind of new. I don't think anyone heard it and I hope I don't get sued for it or anything. We have a scoop, people, we have a scoop. <laughs> I've had a project, one of the projects I did for dissertation. It was an app that was supposed to monitor like plants or something, but I faked it. Nothing of it worked. I had no time because I was writing something else that was more important and I had to come in and present this. And I hard-coded keys on my laptop to do specific things to show the presentation live. So it worked. So it seems <laughs> like it works. And I faked it. And because I faked it, well, I still got the grade. I still showcased my ability to do something when I didn't. And then I built it when I had the free time. And it's just, there is sometimes specific obstacles that you have to overcome and you have find these like really unique ways to do so. And I'm sure any kind of founder has a bunch of these to tell. Hence, a founder should become some sort of an influencer and share all those stories because those are the exciting parts of creating everything. Plus, it's something for the dissertation police to do. <laughs> well, it's too late now. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, so we are at our very last segment, but maybe the most important ones. 
There are so many tools out there today. How can we know which is the best and why? So we thought we're getting all these amazing experts here. Why not ask them? So welcome to the Tool Shack. Every episode we recommend one and our guest recommends one as well. I'll go first. Our top shelf product for this episode is promo.com. It's a video creation platform that helps startups create professional quality videos in minutes. With a library of over 14 million video clips and images, ready-made templates, and pre-edited licensed music, promo.com is an easy and affordable way for startups to create videos to promote their products and services, build their brand, and drive traffic to their website. Check it out on bit.ly slash topshelf03. That's bit.ly slash topshelf03. The link will also be in the episode details, along with the rest of 8 Good Stuff. Back to you, Danny. Thanks, Sam. Uh, which tools do you use to find influencers, to gauge them? What tools do you recommend our startup founders to use? So there is a bunch of tools that seem reasonable. For finding influencers, there is a site where influencers can register for affiliates and register just for being able to be found and recognized. And it's a site that founders can access and they can search for the relevant audience. Uh, specifically at that page, they ask for the influencer interests and what they do and what their socials are about. So maybe it's a little bit better to track uh, those influencers down. To track everything that I do and to track anyone that I work with or in all my tasks, uh, I do use Monday. Monday.com, it's a nice platform to be able to visualize everything. I also use Notion. Notion is nice for note-taking and just having a very... Um, rough idea of what's happening in your life and just to uh, split those bigger tasks into the small things that you need to do and you can just check them off. Um, apart from that, I'm kind of a, a calendar guy and I very recently learned actually from our founder or uh, the CEO of Permit, a technique called uh, no email. And essentially it's everything that doesn't resonate or everything that has been done, you just archive. And he inspired me because recently we had a meeting and he showed me his email inbox and I was expecting it to be like 60,000 emails. He only had eight, eight that were active and he either snoozed them or archived them. And I found it so amazing. It's a technique called no email, if you look it up. And I'm trying to actually adopt it because I find that emails are very overwhelming for me. So it's definitely something I will implement in my life as part of a tool. And for us startup founders who want to kind of become influencers ourselves or at least create some kind of community mm -hmm. around us and our product, what would you suggest a starting influencer to use? I think there is a lot of tools that allow you to schedule things and organize the posts that you make. It's very hard and I find it hard myself to be very consistent with how I post things and how often I post. Me um, too. Exactly. And sometimes I can come sit down with a bunch of ideas that I'd like to organize. But then again, I have to remember all those dates that I have to post this day and this day. Now, with influencers and building a following, the consistency is extremely important. A pure real life scenario of that is I stopped posting on my YouTube for three months and suddenly my YouTube started dying out. I started posting again and things started to pick up again. So it's important to just keep that up. Now, tools that allow you to schedule posts and organize them up ahead and have them automatically released. And there is a bunch of them out there very handy, especially in a founder's life who's really busy. He can just dedicate uh, an hour of his time, write a bunch of them and just schedule them and know that for the next week he has content coming out. That's beneficial and will gain him some traction, hopefully. And last question, tools for creating videos, infographics, All right. what do you use? Yes, very important. So uh, I'm an Adobe guy, Adobe Photoshop for editing my thumbnails, Adobe Lightroom for correcting my thumbnails, like correcting the image and just enhancing it a little bit, Adobe Premiere Pro 
for editing my videos. So that's my Adobe toolset. Then of course, if you're using music, it's very important to use royalty-free music so you don't get sued by any other creator or so you can actually keep monetizing your content. Uh, then I would recommend Epidemic Sound. Uh, they do a lot of royalty-free music that, are, that is really good. Also a, a company that started to emerge uh, when I was uh, doing and starting YouTube and now they're very big and very successful. So another inspiring story may be beneficial to look into. Adobe is good because they offer everything and it's just one subscription for all. So it actually saves you money in the long run than getting subscriptions from all different platforms. So that's my recommendation. And Philip did not get paid to say I did all not that. Get paid. Just want, I, mean, I just want to make it clear. I'm very, very fond of what they offer. That's, that's all. Uh, and it makes my workflow much easier. So uh, I can definitely highly recommend it without being paid to say so. So last advice to the entrepreneurs, what's something they can take home? One, actually the most important thing with anything you do, if you want to be an entrepreneur, is that if you have an idea, I think you should execute it and you should try your best to at least give it your best go. Uh, a lot of the times ideas come, come and go. Some ideas seem that maybe they're a little too complex or maybe too overwhelming, uh, which might be the case, but it's not a reason to not give it a go and not try it. And a very example of this I can actually give you is something I'm trying right now is that I always wanted to create a t-shirt or some piece of clothing that I would uh, then, you know, maybe sell or, or wear or something like that. It's an idea that's been browsing in my head for such a long time. And finally, a month ago, I was like, yes, I'm going to try it. So I'm going to try and release my own, I don't know, it's like hoodie and whatever. It's something completely different, but I'm trying it. And the worst thing that can go is just going to fail. And at least later on in my life, I'll be like, at least I tried this and I know it failed so I can move on to something else. So just never, never let any ideas slip. Always try and execute if you can. Okay, and that is one more link that we'll have in the podcast description. As soon as the T-shirt is ready to go, we need to support our very own house entrepreneur and influencer. Thank you so much, Philip. Thank you, Danny, for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was great speaking to you. That's a wrap. Thank you, developer Philip, for taking us into the mind of a seasoned influencer. To learn more about Philip and his work, follow developer Philip on YouTube and menzoi.com. If you like this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with your pals and don't forget to give us a star of five. Special thanks to producer Sam and the Marketing Hotline for making this episode happen. See you next week.